You're listening to Connecting the Universe from Mike Ricksecker and ConnectedUniversePortal.com. Welcome, everybody, to Connecting the Universe. I'm author and researcher Mike Ricksecker, back at you with another interactive class in the secret library of the Connected Universe. Tonight, we're going to be exploring favorite mysterious locations of the world. Uh, some of my favorites. We're going to discuss some of yours as well, because I, I did throw out that class question about, hey, what are your favorite locations? So, we're going to get into all of that wonderful stuff here in just a moment, but I do want to let those who are listening to the podcast version of this later, please join us every Wednesday night, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern time for the full Connecting the Universe experience on ConnectedUniversePortal.com. Yes, there's a 30-day free trial, but I do challenge you to try to take in all of that material within the first 30 days. I challenge you with that. Uh, but you get not only this weekly class, and by the way, you get the video version of it. So you get to see uh, all the video clips. You get to see the uh, photos and all that wonderful stuff uh, on a weekly basis, live, come in here, ask your questions, interact with the rest of the class, all that great stuff. You also get sneak peek and behind the scenes videos, monthly Q&A videos, exclusive articles, insider travel vlogs. Uh, some of these clips are actually from those, but... Uh, there's more coming out on ancient Egypt. Of course, there's the American Southwest, Ireland, more stuff coming out over there as well. ConnectedUniversePortal.com. By the way, for those that already are members, get the app. So all you have to do is log into the uh, community area from your phone, whatever browser you use on your phone. It'll have the link up there right at the top to download the app. And then you'll get the notifications of when new posts are made, new things are uploaded to the member area when we go live here for the Connecting the Universe class. I do want to let uh, those know also that our members that, yes, there was a monthly Q&A video just posted as well as a new sneak peek video. It's been a little while since I've put one up, put one up there because I was working on Shadow Dimension Season 2 and then... I got ultra focused on the new book that's coming out, which I, I do. I have a deadline <laughs> that I need to get the book out for. So I gave you guys a sneak peek of that. Shadow Mention Season 2 will be coming later this year. Also, please join us, Bell Mansion, uh, for the Connecting the Universe, the event. That is June 10th. You can find the tickets out there on Eventbrite or just go to my website, MikeRickSecker.com. Check my social media. I've been posting about that um, at least a couple times a week. So uh, that's basically four massive presentations on what the Connected Universe is all about. Check it out. Also, we have uh, the links up for next year's Egypt tour, Stargates of Ancient Egypt Part 2. So come on out for that as well. All right, now, all of that said, and I see uh, Tom McNicholas has also joined us. Great to see you down there, Super Chat Superstar Tom. Let's get to the class question for this evening, which was, what is your favorite mysterious place in the world? No, I'm actually going to be visiting one here. Uh, Jen and I will be here on Friday, which we're actually not covering uh, tonight. But you guys had some good ones here. So Victoria Monday, my co-host from Edge of the Rabbit Hole, she says, I think the desert southwest would be my favorite. I'm really intrigued by the work that James Keenan is doing. Yeah, my buddy James Keenan has been doing a lot of great work down there in the American Southwest. He's been involved with Skinwalker Ranch, but he's been doing a lot of other things as well, Blind Frog Ranch as well. 
Uh, he's even been drifting down into parts of Mexico to do research. And um, yeah, I do cover in this class tonight some features of the American Southwest. And one of those locations is actually a location that James put me onto. So there you go, Victoria. Your wish has been granted. Uh, Jen says, hmm, I would have to say the pyramids and the unfinished obelisk in Aswan Quarry. I want to know what machine made the ice cream scoops out of that granite. So what she's referring to with the, with the ice cream scoops, and we've covered pyramids a lot, but we haven't really talked a lot about the unfinished obelisk in the Aswan Quarry. So I did want to throw a couple of photos up here real quick before we actually get into uh, the main segment tonight. And this is not the unfinished obelisk here, but this is at the Aswan Quarry, the same quarry with the unfinished obelisk. And you can see these strange scoop marks, these strange grooves here uh, that are cutting into the granite. Now, granite is one of the hardest stones that we have out there. Really bizarre how this was possibly made. We have no idea. Uh, you see it on the unfinished obelisk as well. And we've seen it on a lot of different, even smaller objects, like smaller scoop marks. But these are these are really big. Uh, to give you a uh, comparison of how big they are, this is Will, uh, Will Smith from our tour. And uh, so he's on the other side of that stone that we were just looking at. And you can kind of see how uh, how the scoop marks are in comparison to him. Uh, they're quite, they're quite substantial. Uh, very interesting indeed. So Alina says, it's really hard to pick just one. Definitely all the places people go missing. Yeah, uh, we've covered that a bit here uh, within connecting the universe as well, like the Alaska Triangle, Bermuda Triangle, really any of those triangle areas, you know, people go missing in, you know, out in the wilderness, all of a sudden somebody walking right down the path, they, even if they're with somebody, poof, they go missing. Uh, talked with the Alaska Triangle, the Mount Marathon race, right in the middle of the race, poof, one of the uh, participants goes missing. Bizarre stuff, but it happens. Jeanette Kemp says, currently, I would say it is the Oregon Vortex with the House of Mystery in Gold Hill, Oregon. Yeah, another one of these vortex areas, and there are more of these areas around the world than people really realize. Um, you know, people are familiar with the Bermuda Triangle, so when I talk like Alaska Triangle, I mentioned Bridgewater, talk about the Dragon Triangle. People are like, I, I didn't know there are other triangle areas. Yeah, uh, they do exist. In fact, the Dragon Triangle has been around longer, at least known for a longer period of time than Bermuda. Uh, but you have other areas around the world that they might not consider like a quote-unquote triangle, but is what they might consider a vortex area or has portals or things like this. Um, Really, we're talking about that energy within the ground. Like the, uh, the uh, when we talk vortex energy, it's that magnetic energy from the Earth's core that's rising up, interacting with different metals and minerals within the ground and creating these different energy fields, which in turn creates a lot of different types of activities. So, you know, like Sedona, the American Southwest, uh, you know, these type of locations, uh, you, we find these all over the world. We will talk about uh, one of these particular locations at least in tonight's class. All right, so let's go ahead then and get into it. I see, you know, there is Jeanette right there. All right, thank you for joining us, Jeanette. <laughs> okay, so where we are starting this evening at, we haven't really covered it here in class before. I did post a, some photos out on social media, uh, out on TikTok and out on Instagram, posted some reels. Paris Catacombs. Yeah, this was the thumbnail artwork for tonight's class. Uh, the uh, you know, the giant ossuary down there underneath Paris. Very macabre, yes. And when we were down there touring, and you know, as as you go through, you're with a group. You know, they kind of section it off. This is our eleven o'clock group. This is our eleven thirty group, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, hanging back, taking photos, things like that. The main part of the group eventually moved on. I wish it would have happened sooner. They eventually moved on. And as it got quiet down there, it also became very reverent. So let's back up a little bit, though, and get into first 
what created, how, how did this catacomb come to be? Because they were not originally catacombs. They were mines. And they ended up being used as catacombs. So let's take a look here. Starts back at the uh, Innocent Cemetery or Cemetery uh, de, de Innocence. I don't speak French. I tried while we were there, uh, but basically it starts with this cemetery. It had been in use for over a thousand years. That's, that's a lot of usage for a cemetery, a lot of bodies uh, within the city of Paris. But by 1780, conditions had gotten very, very poor. Uh, and so what people were doing to try to make way for the uh, the bodies to be placed inside, you know, and I said earlier that I thought I had all the artwork and I can already see one that is missing that I need for this particular description. What in the world? You know, you think you get everything uploaded and then something like this happens. <laughs> So conditions got very, very poor in the cemetery where basically graves were overflowing. And they even did something like this. This is, this is an actual illustration of them putting bodies into the walls of the cemetery that they were exhuming bodies, putting the remains in there, basically bones, skulls, that sort of thing, and then putting more bodies into the cemetery. It was just absolutely insane. But this, this is what they had. Uh, there are a couple other, you know, small cemeteries kind of scattered about the city, but this was, you know, the, really the primary cemetery of Paris. The probably most famous incident that happened because of this was there was a restaurant owner who was terrified one day to find his restaurant was like right next to the cemetery that in the cellar, that the wall in the cellar had collapsed and bodies from the cemetery were spilling into his cellar. Pretty gross, yeah. So in 1785, what they decided to do was, for one, we're going to stop putting bodies into this cemetery. And two, they went through a major undertaking, uh, an evacuation of remains from you know, both the buildings that they were and walls that they were putting the bodies into and then also exhuming from the cemeteries uh, itself and taking them down into the mines, which ended up becoming the, the catacombs. So it took them many years to do this, and they would do it under the cover of night uh, because, yeah, I mean, if, if you're dragging bodies and bones and things like that through the streets during the daytime when it's pretty busy. Yeah, kind of gross. So they did this at night. They would do a procession of it. Uh, you know, they're trying to at least keep somewhat reverent of the fact that they were moving bodies. It was 6 million people. That's, that's the estimate. Okay. 6 million. Now, yes, they piled them up in here. Uh, but you know, they didn't want to just dump them on top of each other. So there was a uh, inspector, I'm not going to be able to pronounce his first name, uh, Thury. This was uh, before 1809 when it was first opened to the public. He's the one that suggested, let's actually make them into you know some sort of design. You know, they spiffied up the mines so that they were accessible, and then we're going, going to put design work into all of this and then opened it up to the public in 1809, which was by appointment only, still kind of by appointment. You think about this. It first opened in 1809 to the public, and we're still visiting it today. Uh, some of the early tourists of this included Napoleon and his son. But again, they were continuing to bring bodies down. Uh, it, it's lasted long into the 1800s. Um, and they say that, at least according to the, uh, to the catacombs themselves, the organization that runs it, uh, Pace picked up in 1840, 
after uh, they were trying to modernize this, the uh, city even more. So that's a lot of the history, background, that sort of thing. Uh, famous people that are included within the catacombs. I mean, it's it's not just you know the the common folk, right? Uh, like, oh, okay, they this is where they just threw all the you know poor and destitute and all that. No, it was everybody. So you had uh, writers like uh, Jean de la Fontaine, uh, who's a, a writer of many fables. Uh, Charles Perrault, known for fairy tales like the uh, like Little Red Riding Hood, Cinderella, Puss in Boots. Yeah, yeah, he's he's down there somewhere. Uh, Maximilien Robespierre, one of the most widely known, influential, and controversial figures of the French Revolution. He's down there too. Now, he was he was guillotined. So basically, they uh, they took off his head and then took him straight down there. And this is really only like a small, when you go down there to the catacombs, it's really only a small section of the whole thing. Because again, these were mines. You get to walk about a mile of it. And that's the public part. There is a, and, and you'll see, I'm going to show you some photos here uh, of the catacombs. There are sections that are blocked off, that are gated off, that you can't get into. But you see the bones keep going. And even after the bones dissipate, there's still more of the mines. Now, back when they were first filling this up, this was outside the city limits of Paris. Paris has grown a lot since back then. So it, the city ended up encompassing over the top of, of the catacombs. So let me go ahead and play this video clip that I probably should have played a little bit earlier. You guys are gonna get some video clips tonight. Here we go. Descending down into the Paris catacombs. really see but this is the older section 1787 so these are the old limestone quarries from when they mined the limestone way way back in the early Paris days this was actually outside the city limits now of course it's within but um, so that's what they ended up putting all of these bones within. But these shafts go on and on and on. There are actually you know, restricted sections that you can't get into. But even as we're going along, there are gates that are locked that have other passages filled with, with bones. It's all lit up. We have some photos of it. Um, so it just keeps going on and on and on. The ossuary, but also, of course, the old mines. If you've ever seen the movie As Above, So Below, they filmed, they're the only movie that's been allowed to film down here in the catacombs. And uh, they did get into, uh, and they filmed in that restricted area. It's really interesting. The bones down here represent over 6 million people from the city of Paris transported, transplanted from the cemeteries to down here. And this is a massive ossuary at this point. It started with the Cemetery of the Innocents and that started overflowing into the basements. It's macabre, but it's better than just dumping the bones down here like they originally were. All right, so that's a so that's a taste of the Paris catacombs. Um, like I said, when when you're down there and the group moves off, there's a reverent feeling. So it's heavy, um, it's sad. It's really sad to know that you know all of these people um, were basically uprooted from you know, where they had been resting and 
and put down there. Yes, they, they tried to uh, be artistic about it, but you know, these are people who had once lived lives in the city, you know, directly above. Well, I guess there wasn't a city directly above at the time, but, you know, off to the, you know, you know off to the side, uh, I guess off to the north a little bit. But still, um, you know, pretty sad to realize to realize that. So let's see if you guys have some comments here. Um, Tom says, surprise, no spirits made contact with you. I mean, maybe they were trying to. I don't, I don't know. Um, I mean, this obviously is not where those people would have passed away. Uh, it would have been, it would have been elsewhere. Now, there may be people that had um, maybe some mining accidents or something like that down there. Um, but, uh, but certainly, certainly sad. And yeah, uh, maybe they only spoke French, perhaps, perhaps. And, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's one of those, I, I'm sure people have tried to make contact down there before. Um, I was more just trying to take it all in at the time. And I think Jen was as well. In fact, uh, here's some, some photos meant to show you and for those listening to the podcast version later um this is stuff that you can you can see if you come out here in a uh on wednesday nights so this is actually a cistern that's down there so when you first go in basically when you first walk in uh you have a little while a little ways to walk before you actually get to all the bones and everything you know there, there are these passages there are the stairs that you saw me walking down to the video and then you come to like the gateway uh, for the ossuary. And then when you, uh, when you walk in, then boom, you know, you have these walls of bones. Um, it is, it is bizarre to, to look at. And people ask me about the smell, like, does it smell down there? And it's like, no, it doesn't. Um, I was expecting like a real musty smell or something like that. And there wasn't really even that. I mean, maybe the air was a little stale and they do, they do pump in some air to get some airflow going down there because you do have a lot of people walking these uh, these halls together amongst these bones. And there's gin. There's a well there. Uh, you know, the well was in place for uh, the mines, but they kept the well there. And then they just, you know, around the walls there, um, you know, there are the bones. And then uh, here with this one, and the shot is over the top of uh this one wall of bones, but you can see there in the background, other gated off areas. And so there are other rooms, other passages, and it just kept going on and on. It's, uh, you know, really, really quite fascinating. And if you do decide to go there, I will say this, I recommend the coffee shop right across the street. We walked in there and uh, my first Parisian coffee and the coffee was fine, but it was the cream on top. Oh my gosh. It was like the most amazing cream that I've ever had. It was uh, really, really wild. Um, and so, uh, Tom, I posted late, but asked about the mystery of Cleopatra's tomb location. Yeah, that's something that they were trying to, uh, to seek out. And there's some different theories, people. Uh, I know there's a documentary, um, not too long ago, it was like Secrets of the Dead or, or something like that some years back uh, where they thought that they were on the path of finding Cleopatra. So they found a lot of artifacts and things like that. Uh, but that would definitely be a mysterious place. And uh, Jen, yeah, yeah, you know her in that photo. <laughs> All right, we spent a lot of time there in the Paris catacombs, which was fine because we haven't really touched on it before in class. So um that was a bucket list item for me, someplace I really wanted to get to over the years. And uh, it's definitely fascinating. If you go to Paris, definitely check out the catacombs. Uh, I saw my Aunt Marge about it here over Easter. And uh, she hasn't been to that, but she was at the catacombs uh, in Rome. And she was like, yeah, you got to go to that too. So catacombs, yeah. Why are we fascinated with that stuff? Because we are. <laughs> All right. So let us then move on to... Chaco Canyon. Now, not going to hit too much in Chaco Canyon. We have covered it in the past, but not because of that, but because on our road trip here, we we're looking at returning. Uh, but this is, this was another bucket list item for me uh, that I really wanted to hit uh, some years back. And I was finally able to, this is 
you know, really one of the um, oldest ancient sites in America. And it's extremely mysterious because we don't know what happened to the people here. We believe, we don't know for sure, that they may have been uh, the ancestors of today's Hopi. But we don't know for sure. This is something that we kind of assume, we kind of believe, um, kind of makes sense, but we really don't know. And that's because they didn't leave us a whole lot of evidence as to who they were, what they were really doing. Now, we know it was used for some sort of ceremonial purposes, but they did not live there full time. It was only a part-time facility. So then where did they go from there? Where did they actually live? So I'm going to play a, uh, a video clip here, and I do want to say this. Um, in the video clip, I, I use a term to describe the people, um, and that term is Anasazi. Now, I have since learned that that term is a, uh, it's a derogatory term that was used by uh, the Navajo to describe uh, these people that they believed lived there. So, you know, basically what happened was um, when the English came in and they asked the Navajo, um, you know, who were these people that lived over here? And because the Navajo didn't like them, they used a derogatory term. And so that's what we had been calling them for years and years and years until, you know, kind of recently came to light that, no, we should not be using that term. So what people try to say now is to try to call them ancient Pueblins, which just means ancient people. So let me go ahead and play the clip here. Here we are at Pueblo Benito in Chaco Canyon. This is a bucket list item for me. I'm absolutely ecstatic to be here. Now these sites here, and this is you know one of the oldest, one of the largest, you know going back to 850 AD. Uh, one of the great kivas is here. We'll go check that out in a little bit. But this was a spiritual center for the Anasazi, which were known as the Ancient Ones, which are believed to be the descendants of the Hopi. And while these sites here date back to 850 AD, that culture goes back even further. We really don't know where they began. This very, very mysterious culture. We don't know why they came here and built these out in the middle of nowhere. And we don't even know why they left. So, so many mysteries still going on as to what exactly they were used for. Of course, believe they were used as a uh, as a spiritual center. It's aligned to the stars. So that tells you a lot right there. And while, you know, this is Haunted Road Media. So is this place haunted? It may be. We really don't know. There's a lot of investigating still to be done here. Of course, it's a spiritual center, so you would believe that that spiritual energy is still around here. And you have to think about this. You know, spiritual here, you have the energy from the ground that they're tapping right into here. And then astrally aligning to the stars above. So you have all three phases above, below, and right here with you. Okay, behind me and below me is one of the great four kivas here of Pueblo Benito. Now these were used obviously for ceremonial purposes. You can see uh, the benches down there where people would have sat. They believe that maybe different idols or objects of worship were placed within the uh, little uh, alcoves there. And there's certainly a fire pit down in the middle there. So we don't know exactly um, what type of ceremonies were conducted here. That's still kind of a mystery. Some people think they're related to the uh, kivas of today. We don't know. So do I believe this site had anything to do with ancient aliens? It's a fantastic question because of course the television show did come out here. I was basically set up in a spot where Giorgio was uh, back in, what was it, season four? In any case, it's possible. The site is astrally aligned to the stars. They did study the stars. They did align this site to the stars. And of course, they talked about the star people when we go and we check out some of those petroglyphs. So there is something to the worship of something above. Okay, so there was a lot more to that. And uh you can get kind of the full taste of that. I do have it up there on the YouTube channel still. And it's also in the American Southwest section of the uh, Connected Universe Portal website. So if you go to the, the travel blog section there 
for uh, the American Southwest, you will find those videos in there. Uh, also, the one upcoming, uh, much bigger, we're going to hit Montezuma as well as well. <laughs> Montezuma as well as well. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's take a look, though. So astro astronomically aligned. They talked about the star people. You guys have seen this before. But when I was talking about the petroglyphs, um, these spiral patterns on the walls. Now, these were, by their accounts, these were portals, okay? And these portals were being used by what they called the star people. That's their words, not ours. Or I guess you could say that's what we have uh, translated it to be. So this is where, you know, we start to wonder in ancient times, you know, did extraterrestrials or you know some other exterior race or culture come and visit people here on earth somebody from the stars you know the way that they would have done that how did they come to earth did they use some sort of craft did they uh use a einstein rosen bridge to get here did they project their consciousness here that part we don't know uh but we do see uh them talking about star people we see in other cultures things that look like craft. So this is where the whole ancient astronaut theory, you know, kind of comes into play. But it's a wonderful site. Uh, as you take a look at these ancient rooms, which you can walk through. I've, I've shown you guys some video clips from there before, uh, different, uh, you know, secret chambers. This is an aerial photo, not mine. Uh, I was not allowed to put my drone up in the air. You have to get special permission to do that. Uh, because there are some other areas here that they don't want you. Apparently, they don't want you, uh, I guess, publicly showing. So you have to get special permission, say exactly what you're going to be uh, shooting from the air. So that one's not mine. And then when at the end of that clip, I was right in front of this, which you guys have uh, seen me before talk about this being the ancient hot tub. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a tiny little. We don't know what it was used for. Again, some little. It could be could have been used for a ceremonial bath. You know, we've seen that in other cultures, ceremonial ceremonial baths. I mean, it, you could see people sitting here on these uh, little ledges here, and then you have that hole in the ground where, to me, it's like, well, that's where the water would run out. What what else would that hole be used for? Well, it could have been used for a lot of different things, right? But um, yeah, so I kind of joke around about that being in ancient hot tub all in good fun but i mean honestly could have been maybe not hot tub but ceremonial bath i think you know um okay next one up montezuma's well uh victoria will appreciate this yeah she uh she had fun with me on uh, my facebook the other day talking about uh the hollowed earth there's something that I'd posted there, uh, some recent uh, studies that they had done, uh, seismographic information coming from near the core of the earth where they've actually detected uh, what would have been uh, an ancient ocean bed and ancient mountains, things like this, near the core of the earth, which is really wild to think about. And so she had posted something about hollowed earth uh, on there, and Robert Hanna did too, but... Um, but Montezuma's Well is one of those locations that has legends and stories about people being underground, about there being cultures living underground. We do see locations around the world where people did, it's not just caves, we're talking like entire, uh, like Darren Kuyu, where you have, you know, basically room after room after room multiple levels and connecting to other cities all underground it's massive underground cities it's wild well montezuma as well even though it is filled in with water now is one of those locations that is believed to be by the uh by the zuni culture uh, to have been one of those places okay i am here at montezuma's well kind of panning around a little bit so you can get a, a view of that. It is a pretty cool little area. So there are origin stories here for the Native Americans. And 
kind of depends on who you listen to. So if you do some searches on the internet, you're going to find stories about a girl that was sealed up in a hollow log. If you talk to somebody like uh, Clifford Mahuti, who is a Zuni elder who is actually ousted from his his order and from the, the Zuni culture because he was, um, I guess, talking about stuff he shouldn't have been talking about. Uh, he has a little bit of a different story to to tell about that. And uh, you know, my co-host is Victoria would love it because it has to deal with um, underground stuff and ant people and all of that. And um, so basically the idea is... Um, during the destruction of Lemuria, the ant people helped uh, the ancient Lemurians hide uh, underground. Um, you also have some interesting information about um, you know, basically Japanese that came over, Chinese. There's supposed to be some Chinese petroglyphs out amongst some of the, uh, the other stuff, uh, the other regular petroglyphs. So now I will say that this is kind of secondhand in some ways. Um, I, I know Clifford and uh, we met last June at the UFO Mega Conference. We actually talked about uh, what we called the raw people. And, you know, basically I was asking about uh, shadow people. And so he told me in their culture, they would call them the raw people, the interdimensional beings. So that's what Clifford and I mostly talked about was there are people and shadow people, interdimensional type beings. Um, we didn't talk about this together. So this information actually comes secondhand through James Keenan, who does all the Uinta Basin stuff, Skinwalker Ranch, and all of that. Uh, he and I were chatting at the uh, Las Cruces Paracon about basically where I was going to where I was gonna be. And he said, check this place out. This is what Clifford says about it. I tried digging up some uh, old podcasts with Clifford and listening to them, see if he talked about it a little. He did a little bit, um, not necessarily Montezuma as well, but like with Lemuria and the ant people and all that. So basically the idea is that um, the the ancient peoples were saved by the ant people brought underground, Victoria's going to say hollow earth, um, I'll just say large underground caverns where they could live for a while. And then when the time was right, they came back up uh out and so this is supposed to be uh the access point where they came out and then they repopulated the earth after the great cataclysm after the great disaster whether that was the the flood they do talk about the the flood story and all that stuff um but i'm gonna have to research to put all the pieces together uh for this particular story with with the well and the origins and all that and where the flood, flood fits in, or if it was a different cataclysm. But in any case, um, still very interesting uh, that this would have been potentially an access point. They've had, just doing a little bit of research on the well itself, um, it, it's hard for uh, like fish to live in here. Fish can't live in here. It's too heavily carbonated, so they have some other uh, smaller, like, leeches live around here, some small, weird shrimp-type things. I guess there's, like, five species of animals that live in here, uh, but most can't. I saw some, you know, ducks swimming around. They can swim. That's fine. They're not living in the water. Um, they're not really sure how far down this goes, <laughs> which kind of leads into the legend and the tale and everything, because um, when they have, like, they've, like, They've had divers in here. They can only get so far. They've tried to put robots down into there. They get pushed back out. Um, so they're having a very, very hard time actually researching the depths of this. They do not know how far down it goes and where all it goes. Uh, so it leads you to question, are those like the underground caverns that the ancient Lemurians had lived in long, long ago that's now filled in with water and is inaccessible? Is, is that where... You know, they came out of, uh, you know, and, and being helped by the, the ant people down there. And when we talk ant people, we're talking, <clears throat> you know, listen to Clifford. So, like, they had translucent ones that were about two, uh, two and a half feet tall. And then, I guess, some red ones that were, like, a couple feet taller than that. So, they weren't any more than, like, four feet tall. But they stood erect. Uh, and, and he made comments about, you know, put, you know, an ant praying mantis and then an et 
next to each other and you can like see an, an evolutionary type process from one to the other. So it's, it's kind of interesting. So were they possibly ETs that had, uh, that had helped the ancient cultures, protected them here until the earth was, was habitable again. All right. Well, in that particular clip, I kind of rambled on a bit. Uh, Jen and I call it Robert Planting. <laughs> it's the song Ramble On from the Led Zeppelin II album. Um, yeah. So it's an interesting location. And unfortunately, Clifford passed away a few months after that. I was trying to touch base with him. Uh, you know, for one, I was trying to meet him out there. That didn't happen. I was trying to touch base with him to kind of, you know, get some more information and he ended up passing away uh, not long after, unfortunately. But uh, but yeah, we were talking about James Keenan right at the beginning of the show. He's the one that put me onto that. I was just uh, coming back from, well, I had the Las Cruces Paracon. I was headed to uh, Vulture City for a conference there, and this was kind of right in the middle. Uh, so I spent time there, Montezuma's Well, Sedona, and all of that. And it's a it's a really really interesting location. You know, kind of like I described there within that clip where you have this, uh, you know, wonderful, you know, hole in the ground that's filled with water. You have these amazing legends of, you know, basically origin stories hiding from, you know, the cataclysm. Every single one of these cultures has the cataclysm story. And this is where those people hid and were, you know, saved by the ant people and later came out. And you, know, you have all the, uh, you know, the little, cliff dwellings and things like that which are amazing and also uh, down the hill might be a little hard to see in this photo but that grayish material mixed in with the white that grayish material is actually silver uh, so you have you know a conductive metal there as well which kind of really enhances the story for me uh, it's wonderful so i want to move on you know, we did spend a lot of time there on, on the catacombs and that was fine but uh, I want to move on and talk about Ireland. Now, there's a lot of places that I could you know, talk about, you know, mysterious Ireland, uh, wonderful. First place I'm going to hit, and I'm not going to do the whole Ireland recap that we had back in the summer. That would take, you know, a whole other hour, which we already did back in the summer, and, I, and still that wasn't enough. So... Our first day exploring, we were up there at Hellfire Club, which is a you know beautiful uh, view of Dublin. But there's a lot of things that are supposed to happen, you know, secret meetings, secret societies, um, bizarre rituals, that sort of thing. That makes it mysterious in and of itself. What really happened there? What really went down? But then back behind that, as you go back down the hill, then you have what we call the fairy woods, which were beautiful and amazing. So really, I'm going to play some like back-to-back -back clips here. Here we go. Of course, everybody wants to know about all of the ritualistic practices that happen in here. And really, it's all speculation. We don't know anything for sure. But the story goes that within this building, these different politicians and influential people would meet here. This is a hunting lodge, you know, way atop the city. A lot uh, longer to get here back in the day. But they would meet here and they would wheel and deal, convene, have these different ritualistic practices to seal those deals. Stories of animal sacrifice, human sacrifice, and I don't know about that, but as far as like the sexual rituals and things like that, those are said to have happened here as well. So like, you know, some, some dark magic sort of things. Welcome to Hellfire. Of course, a place like this you could really see is like a seat of power. You know, if you're making those deals and uh, you know, putting the, the wheels into motion of what's going to happen down there. You're overlooking the city and you're setting into place uh, those, those policies, those machinations of what you're going to set forth um, as far as the political scheme of of the territory. You can see the whole thing right here. You can imagine those guys saying, well, you know, we're going to set this in place and that in place right down there to see the power. 
Yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's a place where you're kind of looking down onto the people that you're you're governing. So um, yeah, seat of power for sure. And this is you didn't really see it in that video clip, but this is you know what the exterior of of Hellfire looks like. Um, it, it's really it is a cool building, and you have free reign to just walk around in there and climb all over it if you want, um, which is which is actually amazing. But when we were done with that, then we walked back down the hill and took a walk into the fairy woods. All right, we are headed down the creepy dark. Oh my god, that is freaking dark! Holy <laughs> shit! <Be afraid. laughs> it's like you weren't kidding. Hey Jen, where is my golden arm? <laughs> I hope they weren't lying. <laughs> that could be a lie. Oh, come I on. mean, how bad can it be? Come on, Nikki. We're in a group. We're Actually, in a group. the, the Wookalars are going to get us. Anybody remember what a Wookalar is? No. No. Oh, my gosh. And the plane disrupts it, but we're still enjoying the path. And we have yet another amazing path to get lost down. No. Well, because then you'll find yourself in the fairy realm. And when you come back out, that is when you will find it to be 125 years later. And they'll be like, oh, yeah, we heard of that group that got lost in the woods years ago. It was an urban legend. Yeah. And see, that's another thing is um, we were talking the other day, time slips, which, of course, related to time travel. And this is a location that has those stories and those legends. And I get into it in uh, the book that's coming out later this year uh, about those different lapses of time where you know people are you know supposed to have ventured off into that realm for a while, come back, and it's like years later sort of thing, um, and not having aged. You know, it's, you know those type of stories. But this is this is like one of the my favorite photos that I took the entire trip and this was on i say day one but really day two because day one was when we you know got to dublin got to the hotel we did the national leprechaun museum that sort of stuff hit the temple bar um but our first actual tour day and uh, just beautiful you know i just loved it there was the whole rest of the tour yes ireland was green and lush and had a lot of beautiful places but we didn't really hit like another place just like this uh, later on in the tour so that was like boom immediately um kind of pressed for time here i do want to talk about uh drombeg because of the energy that's there so let's hit that real quick actually the they call them the portal stones so on the winter solstice at sunset when you look right through here you see the setting sun so we're originally they believe uh, originally 17 stones, there's only 13 now. You can kind of hear, when you step into the middle of the circle, you can kind of hear a bit of an echo, which is interesting. And that's, you know, the resonance off the stone as you're uh, projecting, but that would kind of enhance. Okay so, that, okay, so that's the stone circle. And as I just got done explaining to everybody with draw bed, uh, it's an axial circle. Originally, they believe 17 stones, only 13 now. You got the two portal stones at the front come up to the axial stone uh, which a lot of circles in Ireland are axial so that's to the southwest and during the winter solstice you look through the two portal stones to the axial stone and then you see the, uh, the setting sun so it is a ritual site they have found uh, remnants of rituals from the past here so they just don't know exactly what they did during the rituals they can't guess they don't exactly know what they were for and I guess of that too uh, but you definitely feel an energy inside uh, you have these large stones that have uh, high quartz content. When you stand in the middle, you can hear an echo. Um, so it's very, very interesting. Yeah, so Drombeg, absolutely amazing. Jeanette was asking here, uh, did you sense anything out there? Um, you know, there's really like, in those fairy woods, there's really a sense of wonder. Um, I, I think it was just really awe-inspiring. Like, wow, this is amazing. This is beautiful. And I think you're kind of overwhelmed with that. And then we were actually getting lost. 
uh, we actually started heading in the exact wrong direction. Unfortunately, somebody came along and pointed us the other way. Otherwise, we would have been, by the time we figured out that we were headed the wrong direction, we'd been miles away. But uh, yeah, the views were just beautiful. It's just, I think we were just awestruck, you know. Um, I think at that point, if somebody would have said, uh, you know, hey, I, you know, I feel energy out here. I, I think at the time we were all feeling energy, but it's hard to to know, okay, was that energy of the woods and things out there? Or was that us just be like, whoa, this is amazing. Uh, now, when it comes to Drombag, you definitely feel an energy there. Uh, again, another beautiful view. You have these pastures and countryside, and then you have the water in the background. That's the sea out there. Uh, and then you have this wonderful ring of stones. And there's also a couple of ruins of a couple of huts off to the off to the right side of this photo here that are not within the photo. But when you step in there, yes, you can feel the energy. Uh, some of the people that were with us were saying when they touched the stones, they were feeling things. Now, standing in the center of this, what's really amazing is that it's not only can you feel the energy, but just when you talk, and I know it's an, there is an effect of, you know, your voice reverberating off the stones. We went to other stone circles like uh, Grange Stone Circle, uh, and that one's much bigger. Which that's uh, the Grange is actually uh, the biggest one in Ireland. But with Drombeg, as you're standing there in the middle, I mean, I just imagine. Okay, way back in the day, there were more stones. They were taller. They were bigger. And if you you were doing your ceremonies there and your your chanting and, and all of that, the reverberation off the stones to make that energy work, oh my gosh, that would have been phenomenal. And I can imagine we couldn't do it there that day. There were other people around and things like that. But if we had like just our little group trying to do some sort of ritualistic chanting or something like that from the middle of that circle, whoa, I mean, and this is thousands of years after it was first built. It would have been nuts. Uh, I do want to hit uh, Temple Michael real quick, you know, really because it was, they were ruins that we had all to ourselves and we could basically climb all over it. Uh, it's an old castle in church. The castle dates back to um, 12th century and the Templars were supposed to have used it, but this this place was really cool. But uh, yeah, 12th century is what it dates back to. And uh, they say at one point it was a Templar stronghold. Very, very cool. Take a look inside real quick. This is, uh, say, a little dangerous. Good find. I did not see this when I was out here earlier. It's Rapunzel's tower? <laughs> Very short, Rapunzel. <laughs> yeah, there's more down there. <laughs> keeps going and going. It keeps going and going. Now watch how to get down to that walkway and see the tower from down there. There's Anne. You are now part of the video blog. Hello. Say hello to the Connected Universe portal. Hello, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> this is really cool, huh? Yes, it is. <laughs> and this place just keeps going and going. So we found a little tower off to the side of there, which actually overlooks the water. This is some other side building, which has two chambers, plenty of cool windows that are all overgrown with ivy um, a little graffiti but not too terrible and then you know the other chamber back in here this place is freaking amazing again another one that i could just like soak in for yeah with temple my it was just just one of those really, really cool places. That wasn't even showing the uh, the the church that's there. But yeah, just the fact that you could walk in, explore. 
um you know you got all this overgrown ivy after these these old stones and just it was it was really really cool um so that's the tower you know you got these cool stairs that go up um you know they spiral up you can only go up so far and uh, i know jen got up there a, a decent ways and then this is that uh, the church that i was talking about look at the old creepy graveyard there i mean it's just cool very very cool mysterious place all right, we only have a few minutes left. So other places I do want to explore some more while there, um, you know, Blarney Castle. Um, there's a lot more going on there. It's not just the Blarney Stone. It's not just the castle. The grounds are huge, and there's a lot of stuff. Uh, more, more standing stones, um, a dolmen. There's, you know, wonderful gardens and a lake, and just it's amazing. Uh, Charleville, which is actually, it looks like the medieval castle was actually built in the 1700s, but it was built by the Masons. And when you do uh, anything like pendulums, dowsing rods, anything like that, uh, the two towers, basically, their they're energy points at each other, uh, which is really wild. It's, um, you know, they're actually uh, mirror images of each other uh, when it comes to the energy. Fascinating stuff. We don't have time to get into all that this evening. I uh, do, of course, want to talk about uh, Egypt here real quick. You know, how could how could we not, right? <laughs> after after all the Egypt stuff, and yes, it's definitely a mysterious place. Still mysterious to me to this day, even though I've been a couple of times and explored a lot. Um, and I'm not going to go even into at all the uh, the Great Pyramid tonight. Bent Pyramid, we talked a little bit about this uh, a few weeks ago. But what's really mysterious and fascinating to me, this has become this is becoming more and more interesting to me, is inside. Um, you know, I'm calling this like a harmonic resonance machine, you know, because you have within it these, uh, you know, these corbelled structures. So this is you're looking straight up. I don't know how many feet it is. It's at least a good 50, 60 feet all the way up there. You have to climb up these stairs to get up there. Um, if you took all of that scaffolding away, and that's how we get up, um, this would be a perfectly, you know, square corbelled chamber. And I'll let myself talk about it a little bit here uh, from a video clip, and then we'll come back to a couple of the photos. Okay, here we are back at the Bent Pyramid. They deliberately bent the angle at that level. We used to call unknown reason, but now we know, because they wanted to have certain effect or certain function happening inside. Going backwards into the shaft of the bent pyramid. It's the second time I've done this and I will tell you. Stairmaster. Stairmaster is the way to prepare for this. It is steeper than the Great Pyramid even though the shaft is shorter. Which actually makes the Great Pyramid easier. So what's fascinating about this, and we see it also in the Great Pyramid of Giza, the corbelled structures inside. So you have an entire corbelled shaft. You have a another corbelled shaft that looks like the Grand Gallery, that looks like the niche in the Queen's Chamber. And once you go up all of that, the passageway that takes you to the special chamber, but there's another corbelled ceiling there. So this was a very harmonic machine yeah a little windy there too both times that i've been there it's been extremely windy so i think it's just it, there's like no trees there's nothing out there you're on a desert so very windy it's also near egypt's area 51 so um yeah when i'm talking about you know i kind of threw some photos up there in that video clip but you know, i showed you this one but here's a couple of others where kind of the same thing, you know, these are a little bit smaller, but it's that same corbelled structure. Here's another one, a little bit smaller. This one was uh, repaired later in time by the guy that they credit building it, and he did not build it, he repaired it. He was the restorer, Sneferu. But when you look at this stuff, okay, so this particular one here, 
This is as you come up into this room. This is off to the side. Now look very carefully. I know it's rough. Um, it's kind of worn down. You got these um, you know, timbers in there to help kind of keep it together. But compare that to the Grand Gallery. You're essentially looking at a, a smaller version of it. It's very, very similar structurally. And even inside the uh, Queen's Chamber, that niche is a very similar design. So this is deeper than the uh, the niche in the Queen's Chamber. The Queen's Chamber niche is a little wider. And then the Grand Gallery, of course, is massive, but very, very similar to this. And so there's a lot more to, to learn there. Okay, last item, and then we're going to sign off for the evening. Egypt, again, we have spent numerous classes talking about it. Uh, but got to mention the uh, discovery here that uh, Mohammed and I made, uh, mostly Mohammed, but we just because he had found the initial ones in an earlier visit. But in this particular trip, uh, we found more together, and that's the uh, Stargates. Back again at the Temple of Hathor in Dindara. This is the sky and this is earth. This sheet is what we call it V. Now we can see five stars and that simple jet in the middle. So that is V with five star jet. Different samples. Many stars now that I can point four, eight. I think this man also, but unfortunately the scene is destroyed. I didn't see this one. Oh, oh, this is too much. It keeps going. Right, wow. and the other wall. See, yeah. we didn't see this before. They're on the other side. <laughs> yeah, one with nine stars out here. It has nine. And actually, this here is also Stargate. Look at right that. Right there. Yeah. The little symbol right there. Oh, we got more over here. We made good discovery, my friend. Absolutely. Yeah, so I think where we need to go from there is to figure out, is there some meaning behind the number of stars? Is there some correlation between number of stars and what's within the gates? Like you shown the Jed Pillar and the one, and there's other things in some of those other uh, gate symbols. There's more to definitely follow up on that. So, um, but yeah, Temple of Hathor, Dendara. Uh, you know, uh, Jin really liked the Temple of Dendara there because Hathor kind of called out to her. And that's kind of one of the things is that when you go to these mysterious locations, you go to some of these uh, ancient sites, that um, there are certain things that are going to call out to you. And so, yeah, I've I've kind of been focused on the Stargate thing. So is Muhammad. I mean, his his company name is Saba, which is basically Stargate in uh, in the in the uh, Egyptian language. And so it's kind of been our focus. But um, and and you had a lot of people discovering. Like Jen saw, uh, she found a lot of Stargate symbolism at uh, at Abydos. You know, Will found one, and then other people started finding things. And so it was you know we were like really keyed in on it. But there are certain locations, certain sites that will call out to you. And, you know, so like one of the, you know, one of the gods, one of the netters might call out to you, or there might be an energy about the location that just resonates with you. And so it makes you want to explore more and discover more. And, uh, yeah, that these sites will, that will call back to you, you know, like Chaco Canyon, I mean, that, that had been calling out to me for years. I finally got there and guess what? Uh, we're looking at going back because I've been wanting to get back there anyway, because Pueblo Benito, I mean, that's one one location there at a massive site that is it's a sprawling complex uh with, with a lot to if you if you want to go hiking for miles you'll go find more things uh, you know they have they have the past marks there's other you know petroglyphs around there's other kivas and things like that around there's a lot to explore and so these 
these places will call back to you when when it resonates with you and that's that's part of the mystery so all right, everybody that is our class for this evening i do want to let you know that next week we are we're taking a break for a week because we're, we're gonna be on the road <laughs> but we'll drop in some material uh there for you along the way keep you up to date on everything that is going on come back uh two weeks from now with a recap of those adventures so all right everybody take care have a wonderful evening for those listening to the podcast version later and you want to watch these video clips and be a part of this come out here connect to universeportal.com all right till next time time really exists <laughs>